take your balloons to the next level as we delve deeper into what truly makes a professional balloon artist with your host, Zivi Kivi. Now, welcome to the Balloon Artist Podcast. Hello, Balloon Artist Podcast Nation. What's up? Zivi Kivi here, and I'm excited to have Dylan Rowe on the show. Finally, Dylan Rowe lives in Mercanson, North Carolina. He's won multiple awards that just wonderful in the balloon industry, and he is an artist in the truest form. Hello, Dylan. How are you? Pleased to meet you, and thank you so much for that amazing introduction. <laughs> well, I've been following you around for a few years on Facebook land, and I've seen how dedicated you in just being you in your own way. You don't uh, look for permission with your art. And the same went with the last conventions we did together where I was lucky enough to be in it and, and sponsor it. And you were competing in multiple competitions and even winning with your small sculpture competition of just an exquisite uh, chess board and every single piece in it. Can I ask you how long did it take to create that, that piece? Oh gosh, that took weeks and weeks and weeks. I mean, like, I could spend like hours explaining how much detail went into because like a lot of people didn't realize that the actual chessboard, each square on the chessboard was a single balloon that had been stuffed in like, yeah, when you really look at it, like the chessboard, there's white squares and black squares. So each one of those is a five inch round balloon. Then I had to stuff a floor tile into a one uh, three foot balloon and then vacuum suck that to give it the chessboard base. And then each of those squares were then placed on that chessboard to give the checkerboard chess. Then I was putting wood dowels in the framework to outline each one of <laughs> that's before we even go into the chess sets. I mean, months, months and months and months. Yeah, wow. Lots of time. wow. Truly an exquisite piece. And we will put, uh, with your permissions, of course, uh, the pictures of your winning piece in the show notes of balloonartistpodcast.com. And it's quite amazing to look at and, you know, just preserving it in this shape. How did you preserve it? Was it in a fridge or something? No, well, I, it's, most of it is uninflated. And then what I did was I sprayed the whole thing with Mod Podge. Have you ever used Mod Podge? What's it's Mod like Podge? a Mod Podge. It's like they use it in floral designs and it brings like a shine and it, it's like a plastic layer that it adds on top of it. So the bits that were inflated actually lasted a longer time and I didn't have to freeze them. Like all the circles on top were inflated, but everything else is uninflated and stretched on top. And then the framework that you see the picture on actually is inflated. But I still have the whole thing in my basement set up at the moment for when guests come over and they say, oh, yeah, I saw this and this and this. And I'm like, oh, yeah, have you ever played chess? And I'll bring out the chessboard and, and halfway through, they'll start looking at it and going, at least made out of balloons. <laughs> wow. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's made out of balloons. So yeah, it's it's still in my basement. 
And I think I've got it. I've had to take a couple of pieces off and rearrange them from where the balloons of, of the airs come out, but it's still a viable chessboard in, in playing. And Do you? will be. Yeah, will be. Well, well, hopefully it will be for the longest time now because it's uninflated and it just depends on whether the balloons start degrading but I keep them out of direct sunlight. They're in a cool box. It's airtight. I literally only bring it out to show off and say, oh, yeah, I won first place in this. And this is what I did. I set it up, obviously, without the balloon base that it was on. So it's just it's just uninflated balloons at the moment. Wow. Uh, this truly shows your dedication, in my humble opinion, to the, this art form. And, like, again, like, if you go into the picture and look at it, it looks like, inside of like in the cavalry piece the hair that creates the horse mane and just looks like an inflated 160s maybe or did you like literally cut a balloon into pieces there are cut balloons there are 160s there are 260s there are two, i mean like every range because i'm using a lot of nozzles in it and they have to be different shapes and sizes So there's literally any nozzle that I could tear off a balloon was used in creating that. So each nozzle has a little bit of difference into it, as you know, like, and I had to cut it. But when I was putting it on the back of the main, I needed different sizes. And if I cut them too much, they would straighten out and they wouldn't curl around the back of the neck properly. So... In some, there's 350s, and then there's a 160s and 260s, but there's, there's an arrangement of all sorts of models on there. Got it. Just a, a mind-blowing uh, design. You really guys need to, to check it out. Let's talk a little bit about your background and how you got into balloons, because you do all sorts of things uh, with balloons. You also, you're a very competent twister, if you don't mind me saying, and you do quite amazing dresses that are also breathtaking with a lot of details to end result. Well, how did you get here? So my story starts a long time, a long time ago. I was eight years old and I um, was watching an old Burt Lancaster movie where he was a trapeze artist. And they were talking about the fact that it was, it was legal to run away with a circus back in the day. And I didn't have a terrible childhood, but I didn't want to go to school on a Monday. And I thought, Everything that, you know, this is before internet and everything. I was like, I can run away with a circus. This is legal. I can join the circus. I, can, I don't have to go to school the next day. So I literally ran upstairs, packed my school bag, threw my pajamas in it, threw a couple of chocolate bars in it, jumped over the back fence, ran down to the local park where they call them in America. The small circuses are called a dirt circus. It's like a small one-ring circus. And walked up to the guy on the door and was like, hey, I'm here to join the circus. And you know, he looked down on me and was like, where are your parents? And I'm like, I don't need parents. I've just seen it on the TV. It's legal to run away with the circus. And he's like, well, let's sit you down and we'll get some information from you. And obviously they took my phone number and, and gave my parents a call. And my dad came down and pulled me by my ear, kicking and screaming back home. And <laughs> They made sure I was very looked after after that and wasn't you know, allowed to wander around free around town anymore. But when the circus left town, they, they sent me a letter and said, hey, kid, it's, it's the 80s. No one's run away with the circus in a few decades now. But we have a summer camp. If you're interested in doing the summer camp, 
come along to the summer camp. So my parents kind of used it as a carrot and a stick. They said, you know, get good grades at school. If you really want to do this, we'll take you to the circus camp. So I got good grades and I went to circus camp, learned to juggle, learned to unicycle, to still walk, all of that stuff, and, and learned how to twist the balloon dog and then just kept on going. And uh, when I was 16, they actually took me as an apprentice and I got to travel over Europe with them for a couple of years and then decided to settle in England and then did all the festivals and everything in England, discovered that I would make a lot more money twisting balloons than juggling fire. Wow. And <laughs> I don't know if anybody's ever juggled fire or juggled knives and everything, but you know, you do hurt yourself occasionally. And not a lot of people will tip you enough, but you make a balloon dog, which everybody that's listening to this podcast can probably make the basic balloon dog in under five, seven seconds now. And you're going to get a dollar for it. Whereas you're going to risk your life juggling fire, knives and chainsaw and you're not going to make as much money as a balloon twister does. So that's when I was like, ah, this is where I'm going with my career. <laughs> I you know as much as I do love doing magic and everybody it, after a magic show, everybody will always line up for a balloon. Wow. Um, so eventually you did run away with the circus when yeah, you were older. Actually, yeah. When I was 16 years old, I got to run away with the circus. Yeah. With my parents' permission. <laughs> yeah. Legally. And legally. You found out eventually that even though you can juggle some dangerous props, you can make more money with balloons. But that doesn't explain yet, like, where did the dedication came to the artistic side? Because twisting a, a balloon dog takes five to seven seconds, and twisting a chess piece takes months. <laughs> yeah, there's a little bit of a disparity between the two, isn't there? Yeah. So... Oh, you know, me twisting a dog, basic dog, was when I was 16. I'm 45 now. So, well, no, I actually started when I was eight. My first basic dog was when I was eight. When I was doing it career-wise was 16. So I've had all of that time from 16 to 45 just making balloons. The big thing that changed my career was when I moved to America in 2004 because I started becoming a restaurant twister. Before I was a festival twister, which was speed. It didn't matter how good of a twister you are. If you work a festival and you have 100 kids in line and you're working for tips, you fast, 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 dog, sword, flower, dog, sword, flower, dog, sword, flower. When I moved to America in 2004, I got, immediately got jobs in restaurants. And until the plague that's hit, from 2004 to now, I was working five nights a week in a restaurant. And restaurant work is different. I was lucky to find these restaurants that kept me this whole time, and I was working once a week in them. So what I discovered was that the kids would challenge me. So I would have to be on my toes. The kids would go, oh, you can make a dog, you can make a sword, you can make a flower. But then the kids would come in with their phones with their parents and say, can you make this Pokemon and show me that Pokemon? Or can you make this Star Wars character? Can you make this version of My Little Pony? And suddenly I had this huge awakening in skill because the kids would literally challenge me. And it became a game with them. I would see these kids, you know, because it's been 16 years, these kids would slowly grow up and go through all their trends and everything that was going on. So 
restaurant work, although I was getting paid for it, became this huge creative background to my art where I wasn't sat at home bored trying to work out what to do. I was on the clock. I was getting paid for it. And I had to think fast because I also, although I got a little bit more time with restaurant work, I still had to go to the next table. So that helped my art, my art and my artistry grow so much, so much that I was like, wow, I can make anything. And then, they, you know, and I would turn around to the kids when I would come to the tables. I would say, what sort of balloon would you like? And if the kids had never seen me before, they would be like, oh, a sword, a dog, a flower. And I'm like, no, I, I can make anything. And you would see like the light go off in their eyes. And I used to like that. And they'd sort of look at me and go, anything? And I'm like, yeah, anything. And then like the mom and dad would have this kind of worried look on their face and go, you don't want to tell my kid that. And I'm like, no, I can make anything. And that's why I grew such a loyal group of customers over the years because, and they would tell me, they would go and visit other restaurants or they'd go to other states. And because they were so used to being spoiled, as the parents said, they would come back from vacation. They were like, you've spoiled our kids so much with balloons. When we go to festivals, they refuse the balloons from other balloon twisters. And I'm like, oh, no, that's not good. Because I had that training and I was getting paid for it, it wasn't just like that slog that I see a lot of balloon twisters do where they're just at home slogging on their work four hours, five hours a night and hating themselves. I was getting paid to do it and enjoying it. And I wasn't just using my imagination. I was using the imagination of every single kid that came in the restaurant. Because people go, oh my gosh, how do you come up with that idea? And I'm like, no, I didn't come up with that idea. A kid asked for something like this, and then I had to work out how to do it. So instead of it just being me and my imagination, I've tapped into the imagination of thousands and thousands of children. So it improved my art that much. Wow. That's something that I've seen before uh, with uh, other balloon twisters and uh, pure artists like Scott Strip, where just the encounter of kids in, in the restaurant scenario Uh, just create an ongoing challenge, like an evergreen challenge, you might say. And when you challenge yourself artistically, you basically reinvent yourself every single night that you're working. Tell me a little bit about your passion for competition. When did that start? So that only started recently, funnily enough. Although, you know, I've been twisting for the longest time. It's only over the last couple of years that I've started going to conventions and teaching. I know it's a horrible thing to say in the industry at that point, And I have completely changed my viewpoint on this, but I did not see the point. If I was going to buy instructions, I would prefer them on DVDs so I could watch them again and again and again. And I didn't like conventions because you go and you get taught and then you walk away and then you forget everything. Your brain doesn't hold it as much as having the DVD. And I just thought, and I'd only gone to like a couple of small conventions. I hadn't gone to any of the big ones like Twist and Shad and Capital Kids and Florida Super Jam and the World Balloon Convention at this point. But I had a friend who begged me and said, people know who you are. Come to one of the bigger conventions and just hang out and see how it is. And it literally changed my view of the entire industry. The entire industry. I was like, wow, this is different. 
And I took part in a couple of the, you know, make something in five minutes, make something in 10 minutes, make something in 15 minutes. And I did it, but I didn't enjoy it because I knew I could do better and I didn't like the time limit. And that's when I went to Twist and Shout with the chessboard and the big dresses and everything. Because suddenly I realized, and again, it kind of leveled me up because at this stage, all I was doing was I was making balloons for other people. As much as I enjoyed it, I was making balloons for kids or adults that were calling me and saying, hey, we need this. We're going to pay you this much for it. So I would look at it and go, well, as much as I enjoy making this piece, (laughs) I'm not going to spend more than 10 or 15 minutes in a restaurant making it, or I'm not going to spend an hour or so if it's something decorative to be delivered. But when I compete, I can spend as much time as I want. So that unlocks another form of my artist where I can just, I'm not making this for anybody else's approval. I'm making it because I want this to be the best piece of art that I've ever made. And that's where the chessboard and the big dresses started coming in because I was like, I don't look at, when I make those pieces, I don't look at the price of them. I don't go, oh my gosh, I've spent this much in balloons. I've spent this much in time and effort. I hope I'm going to make a profit from this. I look at it purely as an artist and go, I'm going to make this for my enjoyment. And when I'm done with it, everybody else is going to look at it and go, how did he make that? And you know, everybody always has questions when I make the big pieces, the big dresses. How did you do that? How much time? How many balloons? And I just look at people and go, I really don't know because I'm so caught in the moment, I don't time myself. I don't count how many balloons. There was, I sent you one of the pictures. I don't know if you're going to use it, but it's, it's Haley, Billy Damon's daughter. I did a dress for a capital convention and it's got a lot of curly cues in it. Yes. You can ask everybody, everybody at capital convention. This was before COVID. So I actually mouth inflated all those curly, curly cues. <laughs> it took me every night of the convention to get that dress got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. There was one point where like a couple of people came and actually gave me pumps and they were helping. We had like three or four people at the end inflating curly cues and attaching them to the dress. There was hundreds of curly cues in that. There was three or four people helping. I can't tell you how many hours. I mean, it was, it was a three-day convention and it, every spare second I had went into that dress. But everybody that went to that convention will always turn around and go, that was the convention that fairy dress was made <laughs> with the hundreds and hundreds of, of chrome curly cues in. So I enjoy that even more on a different level that people will remember the big pieces and go and just have questions. I like it when people ask me questions about how did you do this? How was this and all of that? Because I just sit there and go, oh, wow, they really liked it. I must have done a really good job because they're interested in knowing how it's done. Yeah, definitely. I didn't know you mouth inflated. These days, I think, I think we, you know, with COVID, you'll probably won't mouth yeah, inflate. Yeah, mouth inflated is done. Um, I did a TikTok video and I did it just because I was like, I'm still going to have the skill, but it's done. But I mouth inflated six balloons at the same time. <laughs> so I mouth inflated a red one, an orange one, a yellow one, a green one, a blue one, a purple one. I mouth inflated a rainbow and just put it out there. And, 
road underneath it. This skill is long gone and dead. <laughs> I also, if people don't know who I am and you see me at a convention, I'm the guy that has two pubs stuck together. Yeah, wow. Remember that. Dylan, I want to move into talking a little bit about the current situation. We've all been through our share of hardship. And I, one of the goals of this season is to just to share a little bit of how people deal with it. And tell me your, your story when the cancellations started to appear because of the pandemic and how did you deal with it? What did you do? Um, let's uh, go over there, please. Yeah, so like I came back from Twist and Shout and I was all excited because I'd won first place for the dress and second place for the dress and first place for the small sculpture and was feeling really good about myself. I got asked to teach at Florida Super Jam, which has now been canceled for next year. And it was around March. And a couple of gigs started to cancel. And a couple of the big ones, the Easter parades were like, whoa, there's something going on here. Can we reschedule if we need to reschedule? And I was like, yeah, that's not a problem. That's not a problem. This is beyond everybody's control. It was St. Patrick's Day, so March 17th. It was that weekend. I did a big event. And I was feeling when you do an amazing event and everybody loves you. And I was just walking to my car going, that was really cool. I, I really knocked it out of the park. I'm, I'm amazing. I'm really happy with myself. And this thought came over me and was like, with everything going on, because they'd started talking about cutting down groups of people to 150 meeting. I hope that's not my last event. And then I woke up that Monday and hundreds, I mean, not hundreds of phone calls, but my voice messages were full. My emails were full. The restaurants were calling me. Everything canceled overnight. And I'm not, I cried. I'm not going to say, hey, no, man, I'm, I was cool with that. My business was wiped out. I think everybody else was overnight and I was manically depressed. I tried to put on a brave face. I tried to say, oh, I got this. This is going to go back to normal. This is only going to be a month thing. Surely this isn't going like everybody else. Surely this isn't going to last. <laughs> We're going to get back to normal. And it just carried on and carried on and carried on. Luckily, I had savings. I was in a good place. So I didn't have to worry about running out and providing for my family. I've done a lot of work on the house. <laughs> I basically converted my basement into another office. I've, I've got a lot of honeydew list done for my wife. I'm very, as an artist, and I've noticed this about other people as well, my concentration is destroyed. When I'm working on the house, I'll work for like an hour and then just like wander off. <laughs> and I'm so not used to it because normally I'm so busy. I'm, doing, I'm normally doing four or five jobs a day. So the night before, I have to plan that everything is in my car. Everything is ready. The balloons are in the car. If I'm doing a decorating job, those are in the car. If I'm doing a magic show, that's in the car. There's some days I leave on my car. I'm just looking at the back of the car and go, this looks a train wreck because I've got my stilts in. I've got my magic show in the boxes. I've got my balloon decorating stuff. And then I've got my balloon twisting stuff. And I leave at 7 o'clock in the morning. And then I come back at 1 o'clock at night. And everything has to be perfect and on schedule and timed. And since March, I've had no, no limits on my time. And the days just blend into each other. So I know it's depression. 
I'm trying to cope with it. Qualitex did a good thing at the beginning where they did the big online convention. That helped. I don't know if you were involved in that or anybody else that was listening to that. That was a lot of fun where they did a convention for four or five days. And I've competed in you see the Plans of America online competition and won two balloon competitions with that, which has helped. And I've done a couple of dresses for friends just to keep my creativeness going. And then I've done some online videos and everything, but it's hard. I think it's harder that I live out in the middle of nowhere. And I think the rest of the world is shut down as well. And then once a week, I'll go grocery shopping and then see everybody else just going around as if life is normal. And I'm like, did everybody forget about me? Because <laughs> yeah, I'm used to having so many phone calls, so many emails, so many instant messages, and it's just all gone. And it's like the whole world has moved on and forgotten about me. And I'm like, no, I'm still here. <laughs> I'm just not allowed to work. It's been very, very hard. One of the hardest things, although this isn't an industry thing, for me is that I live in America. All of my family is back home in England. I can't get back to them. So that, that was also, that fed into my depression a lot because I was like, when I realized I'm stuck unemployed and I'm like, oh gosh, what should I do? And I'm like, well, I don't spend enough time with my family. I should go back and visit them. And then I'm like, oh no, I can't because we were locked down and we couldn't travel between the countries. Now it's lifted a little bit, but my parents are older and they have some underlying health issues. My sister has some underlying health issues. I would have to travel to a major airport in America. Then I would have to land in either Heathrow or Gatwick in London. And then I would have to self-quarantine for two weeks before I saw them. So to add to the depression of losing my business, I've lost my family over this as well. We Skype, and I know it's not, I know people have actually lost family members over this, but it's being an artist and being isolated and then being isolated from your family on top of that is, is even worse. So yeah, anybody that's fighting that dark battle, I'm, I'm with you, friends. <laughs> I am totally with you. I can hear in your voice that like you went through a lot and you are going through a lot. We all are. And I don't think this is really with depression and all of those situations, emotional situations, mental situations, physical situations. These are not a competition. <laughs> Unlike uh, the balloon competitions in the convention, you have the right to go through all of these phases, my friend. Yes. And whoever is listening to this, if you didn't get to teach or if you didn't get to do uh, like any artistic uh, challenge, and if you even just don't want to even touch the balloon fight now, take your time. Give yourself the space to mourn, to, to grieve, to be angry, to go through this process. It, it's a very hard situation for Benny. It is. My balloon room at the moment, I have a basement that is just full of balloons and it looks like a tornado is going through it. It normally does look like a tornado. If you're a working balloon artist, you go into your balloon room and go, oh my gosh, I need to clean this out. And I've had I've had months to clean it out and organize it, but I open that room and I just look at all of my equipment not being used and just sat there and all those balloons. And I'm just, I don't have the heart to go in there and organize it because I don't know. Although I have done a couple of jobs, 
it's as one of my friends said, oh my gosh, I just realized that my my company is a not-for-profit organization at the moment. <laughs> and I was like, ouch, yeah, like all of us are a not-for-profit organization at the moment because we're not making money in the industry. I mean, I know there's a few decorators out there that are doing yard art and making ends meet and trying their best. But most of us, I hit with the great wall of we're not making ends meet with our business. So our business is not a functioning business at the moment. Yeah. So yeah, I feel everybody, it's painful. And uh, did you file for unemployment? Yes, luckily I was able to file and I got it, but that's run out over here. They're trying to organize it again, but luckily, touch wood, I had savings. They gave me a, a business loan, which has helped as well. Like I say, I've done an occasional job and not much. It's a work in progress. I was hoping when this started that it would be over by fall or be getting better by fall. If people don't know, fall is my busiest time and not for Halloween or all the fall festivals. I work all the sports stadiums. I work basketball teams, football teams in America with the NFL, large, large, large groups of people. Yeah, and they pay me a lot of money to be there and that's not happening this year. I was holding out for it to happen and... I sent my emails to all the companies a couple of weeks ago and I got a big fat no from everybody, which meant that my business is now shut till next year because of it. So yeah, that, that was another layer of depression because that was like, oh, that was the light at the end of the tunnel. I was like, if I can get through the summer, hopefully fall will be some sort of normality it doesn't have to be normal but as long as i'm performing once a week i will be happy with that and the tunnel got longer yeah. the tunnel got a lot longer and uh do you see any light at the end of the tunnel right now <laughs> i want to see a light at the end of the tunnel i really do i'm hoping that you see like i said this year is done so then I look at January and go, January and February are normally our quiet time, but that's also when we do all the conventions and get to see each other and go, hey, how was your year? Like I say, I was going to be teaching at Florida Super Jam. So that was my new year planned through January and February. I would have gone to Capital Convention as well. So that's not happening. So I'm hoping Easter next year, that's months and months away from where we're speaking now in August. August, September, October, November, January, February, March, April. I'm hoping by that time they'll have injections and things will be getting back to normal and the Easter festivals and churches and that will kick that off. But I really wasn't expecting it to last this long. <laughs> I don't think any of us were. Well, you're not alone in that. Uh, I was under... The impression this will be way, way shorter as well. And you look at the data slowly and it accumulates into this picture that this is going to last way, way longer. Every single month, there's this new big sign that says so. We don't have any experience in our lifetime, even at 40 plus, to look back and say, oh yeah, it's kind of like back then. Yeah, this is something that none of us could plan. And when I was planning this, I was thinking that and I'm pretty sure most of us looked at our business and said, people will always need entertainment. 
you look at businesses that are going in and out and you're like, oh, is this worth me getting a degree in this field? Will this be around in 20, 30, 40 years? Will I be able to do all of this? Will this, and you just look at entertainment and you're like, oh yeah, everybody has always needed entertainment since back in the stone ages. There's always been some form of entertainment where you can make a living entertaining people. And guess what? (laughs) You can't entertain people in the middle of a play. And none of us insured for this. None of us have this policy. It's just the only way to describe it. Uh, Yeah. Well, I actually want to say, let's keep it real. Let's keep this uh, story not closed with a happy ending, just with this. And because that's the real situation that we are in, Uh, we're recording this at the end of August for all of you listeners that are maybe at the other end of 2020. I just want to say, Dylan, thank you for all of the hours and hours and work that you've put and years that you've put into growing your skills as an artist and for inspiring other people. And I hope for all the best for you and as an artist and as a business owner. And just know that you're not alone and appreciated from all over the world. Oh, thank you. And if anybody's out there and they need to talk to me and just like, just need to talk as an artist, I'll listen. I understand we're all in this together, unfortunately. And hopefully there'll be brighter times for us in the industry and we'll be able to meet again and have fun and entertain and grow our businesses. And thank you for inviting me onto the show. Thank you. I wish it will be a happier, uh, with happier ending and happier news, but let's keep it uh, real and keep in touch uh, through Facebook and uh, other ways in the future. So thank you uh, for listening, guys, for yet another pandemic episode of the Balloon Artist Podcast. Thank you, Dylan Rowe, and see you guys next week. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you.